Hey everyone, I'm Thanos Davelis, and welcome back to The Greek Current, a podcast by the Hellenic American Leadership Council and Kathy Merini, where we highlight the top stories of the day every afternoon with analysis from guest experts, policymakers, journalists, and health staff. Last week, U.S. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan said that President Biden was truly willing to support greater European military and defense capabilities, a key point in the joint statement with Macron aimed at smoothing over the AUKUS dispute. But Sullivan said it was crucial to deal in specifics. This statement, the AUKUS deal, and the recent defense agreement between France and Greece have brought the issue of Europe's defense capabilities to the forefront. Expert Max Bergman joins the Greek Current to discuss why National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan's statement signals an important shift in U.S. policy on European defense, and why he thinks it's important for the United States to back the EU's defense ambitions. Max Bergman is a senior fellow at the Center for American Progress, where he focuses on Europe, Russia, and U.S. security cooperation. He previously served in the State Department in a number of different positions, including as a member of the Secretary of State's policy planning staff, where he focused on political, military affairs, and nonproliferation. Max, welcome on to The Greek Current. It's great to have you with us. Thanks so much for having me. Max, last week, U.S. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan made what you called, in a tweet, a hugely important statement that signals a shift in U.S. policy on European defense. Why is this such a significant statement? So I think it's a significant statement basically because of the context in which he made it. I think some others have tried to sort of say, well, U.S. officials in the past have said, well, you know, we would welcome European countries getting together and collaborating more on security. And if it's through the EU, well, maybe we're okay with that. And so some have sort of said, well, this isn't really new, but I actually think it is. And it's the context. This is the National Security Advisor, one of the most important positions in the U.S. government, firstly. He's in Europe. He was in Paris, and then he made the statement to reporters in Brussels. And why was he there? Well, it was part of the kind of relationship repair process after the AUKUS sub-announcement. And this was the submarine deal that the U.S. announced with Australia and the United Kingdom, which effectively torpedoed the deal that France and Australia had to build a French submarine for the Australians. And this led to a huge fallout in U.S.-French relations. France recalled their ambassador, which I think is only the second time that they've done that. The first time was in the 1790s. So this was a really sort of epic collapse in the relationship, probably the worst since the Iraq war crisis. But, you know, the difference is that this isn't the Bush administration. This is the Biden administration. And I think there was a strong awareness that they needed to seek to repair relations. And so I think the AUKUS fallout has had this bizarre effect where it has prompted the United States, which, you know, AUKUS was supposed to be the pivot to Asia and supposed to mainly sort of cement the U.S. shifting its focus to Asia, but it has forced the United States to actually look at Europe and to talk to Europeans, to really reach out to France, to focus on Europe. And in doing so, I think there's a clear sense that European security doesn't quite work that well. And so what Jake Sullivan's comments basically amounted to was, look, The U.S. is open to new ideas when it comes to European security. What we're not really interested is having theoretical or theological debates about European strategic autonomy or European sovereignty. We want real capabilities. We want Europe to develop real military capabilities, real military tools. So if you're doing that, if you're going to have ideas, we're open to them and we can get behind them. And I think that's also the critical element. He said he signaled the U.S., and he said this explicitly, would be willing to get behind certain European proposals. So I think it was a really important signal and really puts the onus on France, on Brussels, on all European Union members to come forth with new ideas. Max, looking back at the last 30 years, since the end of the Cold War, we've seen decades of opposition to EU defense integration by previous U.S. leaders. What are some of the key concerns Washington has had 
to any such moves within the European Union? And why do you think we're seeing this shift in policy now? It's a great question. And my read on this is that really the United States hasn't thought deeply about European security since really the late 1990s. That during the late 1990s, this is when Madeleine Albright, when she was Secretary of State, actually laid out U.S. opposition. And she wouldn't, I think, describe it as U.S. opposition, but U.S. sort of concerns or red lines, things that guidelines for EU defense, which then said, well, don't duplicate NATO, no duplication, don't delink from NATO, which basically, if interpreted rigidly, which the State Department and the Defense Department, I think, have done in the 20 years since, effectively doesn't leave any space for the EU to get involved in defense. And the U.S. concern in the 1990s was, you know, it was in the midst of engaging in conflict in Kosovo. It was sort of nervous about where Europe was headed in general and whether there was a future for NATO. Remember in the 1990s, we're having these big conversations about should NATO disband? The Warsaw Pact disbanded? What role does NATO have in kind of this post-90s where everyone's moving to democracy, America's the sole superpower. And there was concern that the EU would sort of become potentially a challenger or a complicating factor for the U.S. But I think in the 20 years since, I think what has effectively happened is that policy has stayed on autopilot. Yet what America really wants is for Europe to develop real defense capabilities. That's why the U.S. has been banging on about European countries spending 2% of their GDP on defense. But the fundamental problem now is that NATO has been successful, that if you're a Western European country, if you're Portugal, Spain, you know, Belgium, your security threat is just not that significant anymore. And especially in the post-2008 economic environment, we saw defense spending decline. And while it's sort of, there's been general upticks, the issue is that European defense, especially in the EU context, is coordinating 27 different militaries with everyone buying different stuff, everyone sort of going in different directions. And that's incredibly hard to coordinate. And that's what NATO has tried to do. But the U.S. has sort of ignored the fact that Europe in 1993 created a political union. And this political union granted citizenship to Greek citizens that are now dual citizens of both Greece and the European Union, and therefore has certain responsibilities to protect European Union citizens. And so there is this vessel, there is this vehicle in the European Union where the EU could start to really work together and collaborate and focus its defense efforts collaboratively together through the EU. And it's starting to do that. But I think the U.S. has always looked at that as sort of a challenge to NATO. And I think it's time to really modernize our approach. And that's what France is asking the United States to do. And I think that's what Jake Sullivan has sort of indicated that he was willing to do. Key European leaders, including French President Emmanuel Macron and German Chancellor Angela Merkel, have in the past endorsed the idea of upgrading European defense capabilities, at least as an aspirational goal. Following Jake Sullivan's statements, it looks like, as you said, the onus is now on Europe and Paris in particular to deliver. What would you say should the next steps be on the European side? So, you know, I actually think that there's a fairly easy, straightforward answer, which I don't have hopes of happening within the EU. But when the European Union last year did the COVID recovery package and did next-gen EU, it borrowed or is borrowing 800 billion euros from the financial markets to finance the recovery of the European Union. I don't see any reason why the EU couldn't simply borrow another 100 billion euros to fund the acquisitions of key defense capabilities and just put that on top of what the EU is already borrowing. There was actually a debt issuance the other day 
And the EU has AAA credit rating, is borrowing at interest rates that are effectively zero or even in negative range. So this is essentially free money. And what we saw in the situation in Afghanistan was effectively the EU is dependent on the United States military to do anything around the world, even if it means going to an airport in a faraway place and trying to get its citizens out. The EU was dependent on U.S. air tankers that could provide refueling for European aircraft. It was dependent on large-scale air transport or large air transport that the United States has. In the Sahel right now, where the EU is conducting operations where France has the lead, it's dependent on the United States providing air refueling, intelligence and surveillance and reconnaissance. And those are the capabilities that are very expensive. It's you know beyond the means of a single country. You know Greece couldn't afford likely to buy a fleet of air tankers, but the EU could. And these are the sort of things that if you pool resources together, the EU could start making acquisitions of a lot of technology and defense equipment right now, off-the-shelf systems, that would also be stimulative to the European economy. You know, these are actually support defense and industrial jobs that can't be outsourced because of the sensitive nature of the work. You can't go to China to then buy your defense equipment. You're doing it internally. And so, A, it's stimulative. B, you can borrow the money. C, you can then fill a lot of the defense capabilities that you need. Now, this would require a lot of shift in how the EU is structured, potentially. Maybe the EU would buy it and then give it to countries to operate. But you could also see the EU operating its own fleets of different aircraft or ships and doing what it does with the external action service, where you rotate diplomats through that are trained you know, in national capitals by national diplomatic services to then you know, operate at EU missions abroad. And you could do something similar. Greek sailors could operate an EU procured vessel and they could work with, you know, it could be a multinational EU initiative where there's sailors from Estonia, Greece, Spain. And so I just think it's time for the EU to start thinking bigger about what it's actually trying to do and what capabilities it actually needs and then just set out a course to acquire them And I think, you know, the EU has the means to do it. What it has lacked is, I think, the political will and, frankly, the support of the United States to actually think differently about its security. Speaking about that political will, over the last years, we've seen Brussels struggle to develop a common foreign policy. Do you think that we could see similar problems with any European efforts toward a common defense policy? Yes. I mean, look, you know, getting 27 countries on the same page is very difficult. This is going to be a real challenge. But I think a critical obstacle along the way when it has come to defense is the United States. Look, the U.S. has a de facto veto over any EU defense proposal. And that's for the simple fact that especially Eastern European countries are dependent on the United States for their security because they face an existential threat from Russia. And so when the U.S. creates effectively, I think, a false choice between NATO or the EU, you know, the choice is obvious, where if you're Poland, you're saying NATO, Baltic states, NATO. And I think what Jake Sullivan, I hope, was sort of indicating and what the Biden administration is indicating is that that choice doesn't really apply anymore, that that was always a false choice. And in fact, working together through the EU can actually support NATO. And that what we actually should do and encourage as the United States is that the EU to develop defense capabilities that are filling gaps that NATO has identified and that the EU can actually work with NATO. And this NATO-EU cooperation, I think, is really fundamental. So I think the political will, number one, if there's backing from the United States, that I think you can start to see the political will. But the second thing I would say is that there isn't opposition to this amongst the European 
republics. If you look at polling of EU defense, the concept, it pulls above 70%. The issue has been political elites, you know, A, it gets complicated, B, U.S. has opposed, and then C, there's domestic defense industrial complexes that, like the current setup, this would require a degree of integration with the rest of Europe. So, you know, there's some vested interest in each European country. But in general, this is a popular step that I think if the U.S. pushed and there's real vision on a part of EU leaders could actually come to fruition. One week ago, Greece's parliament ratified a mutual defense deal with France, the first between two NATO members. Greek Prime Minister Kyriakos Mitsotakis and French President Emmanuel Macron hailed the agreement as the cornerstone of an independent European defense policy while insisting that it's not an alternative to their alliance with the United States and their responsibilities within NATO. Do you think that deals like this one can serve to accelerate European defense integration moving forward? I think potentially. I think, let's be clear, this is a bilateral agreement between France and Greece. And I think you know France is indicating its support for Greece as a fellow EU member, which I think is important. I think the EU has shown support for Greece in the past over migration and other issues. And it's clear that there's a rift between the EU and NATO when it comes to Turkey, and that Turkey has become a real problem. And I think it's a sign that when you sort of allow illiberal, non-democratic members, the authoritarian drift that has occurred in Turkey has really been harmful to EU-NATO cooperation. And I think the events that we saw last year, the potential threat of conflict between Turkey and Greece, makes these sorts of alliances happen. And I think it would be best if everything could be worked out in a NATO context. But I think what it demonstrates is that the EU and NATO aren't identical you know, organizations, institutions, political bodies, right? That the EU has separate interests and concerns. And if an EU member is under threat, whether that's Greece from another NATO member in Turkey, or Finland, a non-NATO member that borders Russia, or Sweden, another non-NATO member that definitely faces a threat from Russia, that the EU does have security interests that require it to take security seriously. I think the other thing I would say on this is that I think one of the things that the AUKUS affair demonstrated is that U.S. and European security interests, it's not that they're not aligned, but they may have different priorities. So the EU security priorities may focus a lot more on Libya, while the U.S. focuses a lot more on Asia. And so I think there's a growing sense that that's the case, that one of the things that is happening in the Biden administration is the pivot away from Europe, I think, from the United States happened after 9-11. But I think the pivot away from the Middle East, which is, I think, really on display now, is moving the U.S. away from Europe's neighborhood. And so it's incumbent, I think, on the EU to take security more seriously. And so an agreement between France and Greece that I think hopefully deters Turkey from any sort of adventurous action, especially if Erdogan's popularity begins to fall further and he's looking for something to sort of dial up the nationalist outrage within Turkey, hopefully he won't turn to conflict with Greece. And I think it was an important agreement, an important sign that France's role is really critical in being sort of the backbone of European security. Max, thanks for joining us on The Greek Current. It's great speaking with you. Thanks so much for having me. In other news, Foreign Minister Nikos Dendias and Secretary of State Antony Blinken signed an extension of the Mutual Defense Cooperation Agreement, or the MDCA, between the United States and Greece on Thursday. The two countries renewed their agreement for five years with an understanding that from then onward, it would remain in place indefinitely unless one of the parties chooses to withdraw. The MDCA is the bedrock of our defense cooperation, Blinken said. 
Adding that together, Greece and the United States can become an even more powerful force for peace, prosperity, and human dignity. Then the Assad, the U.S. commitment to Greece showed that both countries are determined to safeguard and protect each other's sovereignty and territorial integrity. Finally, severe storms swept across Greece on Thursday, flooding hundreds of homes in Athens and prompting evacuations on the island of Evia. Rescuers were also preparing to use helicopters to lift stranded people off rooftops in flooded and remote areas on the northwestern island of Corfu, Civil Protection and Climate Change Minister Christos Tiriannidis said. On Evia, at least three areas hit by the wildfires in August were being evacuated. Communities on Evia have been in a race to construct flood barriers to compensate for lost forest cover, with authorities clearing riverbeds and people piling sandbags around their homes. Experts say the loss of forests, which act as a natural flood control mechanism, has worsened the impact of heavy rain. That wraps up today's episode of The Greek Current. Thanks for tuning in.